Bank Talk features thought leadership interviews with bank and credit union executives. Learn something new in each episode to help with the performance at your financial institution. Go to banktalkpodcast.com for the latest information. And welcome back to Bank Talk. This is Charlie Kelly, your host and partner at uh, Remedy Consulting, and uh, thank you for joining us for our next episode. Today, we're going to talk to Tim Siegel of First Resource Bank. Uh, Tim has got some very interesting experience in acquisitions. So, in multiple times throughout his career, he has acquired other financial institutions. And so, if you're uh, in the place where you either are think of a, thinking of acquiring another financial institution or perhaps being the acquiree, uh, this should be an interesting episode. So let's get started. We're going to discuss with uh, Tim Siegel of uh, First Resource Bank, the acquisition of another bank for the purposes of improving efficiencies. So what we're, the uh, concept we're taking of, for this is uh, we're not talking about this from the perspective of those mid-regional banks who seem to snap up a, another FI every couple of weeks or every uh, you know multiple per year. We're talking about the perspective of a CEO who runs a community financial institution and just isn't large enough or doesn't have the right efficiencies of scale to uh, show great returns to your investors. So if you're listening, you probably know who you are. You'd feel like you're doing all the right things working hard every day, but income just doesn't seem to exceed expense by enough for you to ever, you know, sleep well at night. So Tim, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Tim Tim brings an interesting perspective in that he has uh, worked at uh, several organizations where acquisitions have occurred. And Tim, you know, give me a bit of background on First Resource and, you know, maybe just your background, your experience in general. You bet. Nice location, anything you think our listeners yeah. have some interest in. Thank you, Charlie. So uh, my first, so originally my uh, banking career, I actually started um, at a bank in Fargo, North Dakota, and uh, which my uncle was the president and he had just bought into the bank as an owner and had, um, and I'd been two years out of college and he wanted to bring me with him. So I, I went to work for him and I worked for him for 13 great years. And uh, an opportunity presented itself to me to move to a smaller community, in Calvary, North Dakota, just a one bank. There's a holding company with one bank. And um, with the idea that over time, we would open up additional offices and, and see where life brought it. So um, in 1996, I moved my family to Cavalier, North Dakota. And um, at that time, we uh, the bank was called First State Bank of Cavalier. And I was uh, our first branch, we decided we'd branch into Grand Forks, North Dakota, which uh, um, was uh, the largest city within a, you know about an hour's drive from Cavalier. So we branched into that community. About three, hour, three years later, uh, opened up a second office there. We did change the name to United Valley Bank at that time and then uh, uh, purchased a bank in Argyle, Minnesota about three years after that. About... Uh, uh, three years after that, bought the bank in Hallock, Minnesota, and then tried for probably about five, six years to find another one. Didn't quite, uh, it was a little bit of more of a struggle. And then uh, ended up uh, having an opportunity in buying a bank in Monoman, Minnesota, the first national bank in Monoman, Monoman, Minnesota. And then most recently, about a year and a half ago, bought, uh, it's called Northern Sky Bank in 
Crookston, Minnesota. At the same time that I was running that bank and the CEO, we ended up uh, with that bank. We actually, when I got there, we started with about 40 million in assets. Uh, today, I think the bank is, is about 420 million in assets, something like that. And actually with the Crookston acquisition, which hasn't merged in there, it's just a hair under $500 million. Um, at the same time, I also did a separate investment in the Twin Cities. Three of us owned a bank called Eagle Valley Bank. And um, we knew uh, we were struggling with liquidity. We knew there was some, we needed to get bigger um, and um, an opportunity presented itself in this market. And Eagle Valley then bought a bank called First Resource Bank. And we actually changed the name to First Resource Bank and just kind of a new day, a new image, a new time for the bank. And also put together a transition plan, which I'd ultimately come down here and leave my role as president and CEO of United Valley Bank and become the CEO of First Resource Bank. I'm uh, still a partner. Uh, I'm still on the board of directors of United Valley Bank. Uh, First Resource Bank today, I think First Resource Bank today has assets of about $265 million. Oh, great. Okay. That was part of my question there. Okay, good. Uh, so the well, I guess one of the questions that I have there is, let's start with your last acquisition, which I believe was the, the Eagle Valley uh, First Resource merger, right? Yes. Uh, who approached whom? Yeah, great question. You know, and, and I would say that whether I talk about that acquisition or the other ones, it, it kind of all all evolved the same way. And you you know, if you're interested in acquiring a bank, you need to let people know you're interested in acquiring a bank. Okay, and you know those that market banks. I attended a number of conferences of which I knew that kind of the those that direct the you know the the sale of the banks. You know the attorneys. Most of the time, banks are marketed by maybe a, a some type of a private bank marketing firm or an accounting firm or you know a law firm. They've all done it. We've used all of the above, you know, to, <laughs> okay. to get deals done. And um, but you got to let people know. And so, you know, I made, made ourselves very visible that, you know, and, and I talked and I represented both institutions at the same time. And depending on where the location was, people know. So that, I think that's the first step is you just got to make yourself visible. You got to go to things where you, you know, show a genuine, you know, that you're, that where you're interested, where people are, where the connections are. Gotcha. Okay. And are those, so talk to me a little bit about those types of things that you're going to, you know, are they attorney conferences? Are they, uh, you know, are there... Because I'm not aware of any in the industry, and I could yeah, there is. I, I would say there, there's the one that um, where I would say there's there's a few. One is just state associations. Okay. You know, um, yeah. you will have some vendors that will attend that. There's a um, it's called the Bank Holding Company Association out of Minneapolis. I drove the six hour drive twice a year <laughs> down to Minneapolis uh, to attend it, kind of because again, I always felt like. You never knew when a door would open because you met somebody, you know, the, the content was always very good, but I would also tell you that the networking was even better. And, um, yeah. and so that's how I would make myself, you know, I, I would come down and, and just, you know, be active, be a part of it, you know, be engaged. And um, like I said, introduce people and, and then through conversation say, you know, I would also tell you that, you know, you don't, you know, be serious. I mean, if, if you're just kind of curious, I mean, when, about when acquisition, you need to let them, if you let them know you, you're interested, be serious. If they're, you know, they will send, they will tend to send out a number of packages to you, you've signed confidentiality agreements, but you've got to be serious about it. And, you know, of taking a good look at it and it just can't be, Oh, I wonder who this is, or you're, you're, you're not probably going to be at the top of the list. And, once you do get one acquisition done, you're on the list. I will tell you you're on the list and particularly if it goes well and um, okay. the sellers know about you, the the marketing 
firms that are marketing the banks know about you. So um, I just think- because I would imagine that's because they they know you're serious. They know that you've got you know all the all the dynamics with you the financial yeah, marketing, they, 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 all you, that. You, you're right. They know you can deliver. Yeah, perfect. Okay, no, that's a that's a great perspective. I, I guess I never thought about it that way. Is that is that if you're just sniffing around and not really serious or making the right inquiries or doing the right things to get it done, they're going to see through that, and they probably you know like anybody in the, and, in the you know. And to be honest, if you're looking for a steal, you know, and so then you submit kind of a bid that is not you know not it, it, it's really just a not really in the market. You know, yeah, um, range. You, you get the question of, you know, should we waste our time with this group again on the, in the next go round? So, yeah, good. So, did all of the acquisitions that you performed come through this type of a channel, or did some, uh, you know, were there, was there ever one where maybe CEO just approached you, another CEO approached you, or you, you know, you were in the middle of a, a networking discussion? And well, and that I, that's a great, great, that's a really good question. I would say that it was kind of, um, you know, one of them, you know, most of them came through, you know, some type of an agent. One was a failed bank. We bought a failed bank during the recession when a bank went down and, you know, that bank went out on bids from the FDIC and, and uh, we got that. I would say the last one, the one that we had bought first resource, they called me okay. and um, I had, they had handled other acquisitions of ours. They're, or I should say the, uh, they're very familiar with some of the acquisitions that we had. And I was very familiar with them. And they called me and asked if we would be interested in buying it. Um, uh, that was the first resource. Oh, okay. All right. And we had to come, obviously, with a reasonable and competitive offer, but I don't honestly believe that even went on bids. I think it just went to us. Okay. And did most of them make sense from a footprint? You know, I, I think of an acquisition as one of two things, right? It's either you're trying to buy into their commercial space and you, you, know, you can't get in by yourself, or it just makes sense from a footprint perspective. Or yep. and sometimes it's operational. Like I mean, can you put that in a right? Can you frame that up for us a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really a great question. I think I think what you really look at, you know, first of all, I will tell you that footprint mattered to us, and, it, and we need to be able to be within reasonable distance to be able to manage it. So footprint mattered, and so yeah, absolutely, footprint mattered. And you looked at a, you know, so that that would be step one is where is it. You know, I mean, is it, you know, is it within a few hours away or is it going to be difficult to manage it? And so that was step one. This Step two that, that you would look at is how does the balance sheet complement yours? You know, now I would tell you that if you're looking for deposits and there was a, a bank that had a lot of deposits, it would complement you very well. And I think that mattered also just the balance sheet. I would also tell you that the confidence that we had when we go into due diligence in terms of the risk profile of the bank that we were acquiring. And how was the pro? What did it look like? I mean, were there a lot of problem loans? Were the processes not, you know, poor? I mean, were the things poorly documented? And when you go and do due diligence, and we would, there were a number of times where we stepped in to due diligence and we backed off because we are just our comfort was not there in terms of what we saw. You know, and and the that- other thing that, that's extremely important is culture. And, you know, making sure that the culture fit. You know, if it didn't fit for in, in, in the culture, when I say culture, I mean both ways from the employees in the acquiring institution and ours, you know, are we going to just cram something down their throat that isn't going to work or will it make sense? Gotcha. So let me back you up one step because I want to actually touch on both those subjects, uh, both the culture side as well as the, uh, what you're seeing in the, in the loan portfolio. I, I would imagine, you know, taking, getting footprint out of the way, right? I would imagine that 
if you're shopping and you know you're heavy on the loan side and they're heavy on the deposit side, that's a pretty easy match made in heaven, right? Correct. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay, but if it uh, if you're let's say heavy in auto loans and they're heavy in commercial, that might also be assuming again documentation's yeah. in order. They're not some ri- there's not some risk there that you know all the whole portfolio is sitting in one property something like that, right? Well. Uh, that, yeah. that, um, so g- give me just a little feel for that dynamic related to, you know, other things you might think about when you're talking about the fit that goes with, you know, the financial side of it. You know, I, I would say, Charlie, what we really looked at was more, you know, and I, I know that probably saying maybe a diversification maybe makes sense. And yeah, it does to a certain degree, but I also, we also knew what we knew and we knew what we didn't know. And we tended to stay kind of in our lane. And so, and not venture into something that we just did not know, or we weren't very good at. And uh, that being again, what, like what a line of business do. or uh, lending to a certain exactly. So, good. so at United Valley Bank, we bought egg banks, other egg banks. We knew agriculture, we knew agriculture very well, and we knew banking in small communities, and we understood what it meant to be the financial leader in a smaller community. And so that fit. United Valley Bank. Down here, First Resource Bank, which is in Minneapolis, it's a little different story. What we know here was small business lending. That's our niche. And it's not not heavy on retail, some retail, but not heavy on retail, but heavy on small business lending. So we tended, you know, I would say every one of our acquisitions, quite honestly, was more into staying in our playing field and not diversifying and getting out of our playing. No. Okay. So in that scenario, not going into the egg side or other segments that maybe just didn't fit where exactly your right. commercial lenders understood the line of the line of business and your whole bank understood the line yep. of business. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's, a, that's a great perspective. Um, then, then I would assume that is, is it fair to say that from a culture perspective, if you're buying in your lane, as you put it, right, mm-hmm. generally speaking, that probably puts you in a better spot from a culture perspective as well. In other words, they're not getting a New York commercial bank and they're an egg bank, right? Because, you know, a lot of that culture just sounds like it would explode on, right? Right, right. In this scenario, it's, it sounds like you tried to shop where you were 80, 90% comfortable and maybe 10% uncomfortable. And that alone probably led to some cultural, you know, efficiencies or maybe you know, yeah, synergies. Yeah, synergies. That's yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that that is true. I'll tell you that, you know, we bought, like I said, we, we bought a number of at United Valley Bank. We bought a number of community banks where we'd step into the community. I met, you know, every one of those, I met with every employee in the bank before we formalized our bid. I wanted them to hear our story, hear our culture, make sure I felt that they felt comfortable with what they heard and also that I was comfortable with what I saw there. And, you know, in most of these smaller communities, the bankers tend to be the leaders in the community or maybe their family members are leaders in the community, whether it be mayors or, you know, spouses of the mayor or, or of the sheriff <laughs> or, or, you know, important roles in the, in the communities. And you need to get off on the right foot. If, if you do not get off on the right foot, you know, again, from a culture standpoint, from an employee standpoint, um, it's difficult. Also, being accepted in the community can be very difficult. You know, we need, and I believe we needed to have those employees be advocates for the new bank coming into town and not, not it should not be adversarial. And so- Yeah, sort um, of bashing it. Yeah, bashing the- because they were they were ousted or something. Exactly right. Line. So I mean, typically, and, and there are many ways to do this. Okay, the way that I found to be most successful, we never stepped into a, a bank and laid employees off. We tried to find rules for them to play. I will tell you that as time would go on, and employees, you always have a certain amount of attrition in employees um, as they would 
you know, move on in life or retire or whatever, we many times would not replace them. But um, we never did wholesale layoffs when um, when we bought banks. We found roles for people to play. It might be different than what they were doing. You know, you don't need, you know, more than one, you know, in the operation side of the bank particularly. So you so you got to find other roles for people to play. And so so that's what we did. And do you, so when, as you're doing that piece, because that is a little tricky, right? The concept of an employee that is the acquiree versus the acquirer, right? Yeah. Uh, at the acquiree, you, I would imagine that the experience is you're nervous, you're uncomfortable, you're you don't know oh, what yeah. you're going to be doing next, and and then on top of that, you might end up shifting roles a little bit. I know when you and I spoke before, you had mentioned that you babysat that pretty heavily, but, oh, but also also did not uh, bend necessarily to the point where you were saying. I want to hear every opinion. So uh, give give me just a little a little information on that dynamic because I think you it's know, an yeah and that, that's a you know another another excellent question. You know what we would do what I typically did. You know and again I mean you know you, you make some mistakes along the way and you find that what goes well and what doesn't go well and in uh, but the truth be sold told we were the you know, we bought you is what I would tell the, tell the employees. I mean, so there's a lot of good ways to do things. Okay. But we can't all do them differently or the way we've always done them. Okay. We bought you. So what that means is that you need to accept the processes that we've got. I'm willing to listen if there are processes and, and better ways to get there. And I will definitely listen. But at the end of the day, we're not changing the whole system because you're doing it a certain way and we're going to make that system the way you do it. Again, we may, but we may not. We probably won't. And so um, you make that very clear. I tell, I tell the employees from day one, when I sat down with them, I said, you know, I said, to be honest with you, there are going to be some things you really, really, really like that we do that's different than you. And there's going to be some things you really, really don't like. Okay? I get it. And what you don't like might be different than the person in the office next to you. Because everybody's different. Every situation is different. And so you just, it is what it is. <laughs> and, um, and I will tell you, it takes, you know, it takes time. You know, once an acquisition takes place, I can't say that minute one, those that have been acquired, the employees of those that have been acquired are doing cartwheels and saying, oh, lucky us. I mean, no. I mean, most of the time they've, they've loved the people, their prior owner. They've worked for them for a long time. And um, they've had trust and, and a new owner brings anxiety. A new way of doing things brings anxiety, a lot of anxiety, especially in bankers that have been doing it for a long time. But at the end of the day, you know, this is what it is. And, you know, we kind of hold their hand. We understand the, the challenges. We understand, you know, uh, you can be dealing with computer systems. You know, you can be dealing with benefit packages. You can be dealing with a lot of things. Maybe somebody's job had to change. It's yeah, stressful no. and it's hard. But Okay. No, that's a great perspective. I think, uh, you know, and it's still, uh, you know, everything you've just said is much better than you know, maybe being acquired by a regional where your entire world's going to change and, you know, you don't know which accountant might make a decision that you don't belong there. Exactly. At least, at least it, it sounds like your approach was get, try to get to as many of them, if not everybody as, as possible and have a discussion around what they're going to like, what they're not going to like. And, uh, you know, tell them they're still invited to stay. And that's means a lot, right? That means correct. a lot, you know, especially as it relates to what you were talking about with the mayor. Well, and the, you know, I mean, everybody's part of the community. And over time, you build the trust, you build the, the you know, and the, the sincere loyalty. They start kind of drinking the Kool-Aid, believing in the brand. And it doesn't happen day one. And we all get it. I mean, I you, you, you totally step in knowing that. And uh, but have like I said, I, I always had a little empathy for a little. I had a lot of empathy for for 
you know, those that had to go through this, the transition and change of life. And for, for the 99.9% of these people, these, this wasn't their choice to sell the bank. It was the owner's choice. And they just happened to be kind of caught in the crosshairs of the situation. And, and I would also tell you that as an acquirer, we're buying the, ta- we're buying the employee, we're buying the talent pool. We're buying the employees. And, you know, and so we value the employees because those employees are the ones that have the relationships with the customer. Uh, that's a great perspective. Cause I don't think it always goes that way. So I think that's a, a really interesting perspective to take on it. Um, do you mind if I change directions on you a little bit and just ask you about sort of the dollar side of this business, right? How you acquire, what it means, uh, what it means your balance sheet. Um, so, you know, I don't care if you walk me through the last one or one of the ones you've done in your, you know, throughout your career, but, you know, are these cash transactions? Are they mutual? Are they, you know, how, uh, tell us a little bit about just how you think about it when it comes to the bucks. Well, in that, that you're, you're right. You know, so I, I would say that we did it. This is the way that I, we looked at it and all of the transactions that we did. Okay. You know, was that obviously it takes, you know, you, you have to capitalize the bank that you're buying. You're also going to pay a premium. Okay. So there's a certain dollar amount that you're going to have to come up with and that you're going to have to figure out a way to pay for it. In every one of our deals, I should say not everyone, but I guess the majority of our deals, we say I, I went, I happen to have partners that we had historically gotten extremely good returns on our bank investments. I think very good. And which just created, you know, an enthusiasm and more interest from our shareholder group to keep doing it and to keep the, uh, keep the return, keep the returns going. And so when we would have an opportunity, I would say, okay, this is what it's going to cost. Okay. This is where we need to have the capital ratios need to be here. Okay. Plus we're paying for the premium here. This is the dollar amount we need to have. I think what we need to do is ideally is raise a half in cash and we'll get a bank stock loan for the other half. And that every time we pass the hat around the table, you know, and I, th- I always thought that we would probably need outside acquisitions. Now I will tell you our acquisitions were not huge banks. Um, I think the biggest bank that we bought was a hundred million dollars, you know, so which is sure. still real money. Um, but all of the acquisitions ranged, you know, from 40 million to a hundred million. Okay. And, you know, so again, you're not talking 500 million, you're not talking a billion, you know, there, we knew our size, we knew what sandbox we could play in and what size it was. But so we, we got to go around the table to our partners and I would say, okay, folks. And we all understood that maybe some pro rata ownership groups might change because, you know, here's the dollar amount we're going to need. If you want to keep your pro rata share, this is what you're going to have to come up with. And if you want to put in more, great. If you don't want to put in, that's fine. Let's see what we got. And then that's going to determine whether we're moving forward with this or not. Oh, and honestly, sure. every time we did that, we had more than 50%. We came in with more money than just around the table. And I thought that we'd probably have to go to a few of our really good customers and ask them if they wanted in. I never got that far because our my partners always wanted more. Again, the returns were very, very, very good. And they wanted more. They wanted more. And so, okay, good. No, that's a, that's a great perspective. I, I, you know, cause again, everybody's got a different approach to how they think about that, but I suppose past performance helps an awful lot when you're raising capital. It does, you know, okay, well, let's see, what are your historic returns? Well, here they are. Well, we've been doing this for 20 years. Here's what they've been every year for 20 years. It's like, well, it kind of, man, you know, and then plus we did one that we did and then that worked great. And we did another one that worked great. And then it just, you know, it's like, oh, you know, 
So what we did have to do on the last one we did at United Valley Bank was when we went around the table, to be honest, we were from um, our, and we always went to our employees too and let our employees have a chance to buy. Oh, and, okay. and even the seller, um, if there were some key employees on the seller, we let them come in. If there were key shareholders, then we would let them come in. Not at a lot, but we'd let them invest some. And, you know, on the last one, we raised considerably more than what I really wanted to, and we had we virtually would have oversold it, and so you get to a point where then you're harming your existing shareholder base if, if you're bringing in too much capital, and so we had to we had to cut people back. Oh, I see. So their pro rata start breaking down or something, or it gets to a point where they're right. they're uncomfortable with the their pro rata share at that point, probably right. Exactly right. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. But bank stock loan was kind of I mean also that was a key component to how we paid for it. Okay. And is there anything else you want to share there on the bank stock loan side? No, you know, I would just say, you know, you're, you're going to have you know, obviously have equity. You, you know, you pledge the whole bank, not just on what you're buying as collateral. And and um, what we typically saw was that the bank would lend up to, you know, we we could get a loan which we never never came anywhere near, but um, you know, the max. But we could get up to fifty percent of your tier one capital is what you could borrow, you know, okay. from the whole company. Okay, no, that's good. Uh, what about yeah? Can you give us a couple minutes on just branding? Uh, I think in the scenario you just talked about, you said. You uh, acquired one bank, grabbed the name of the other bank, right? If I, if I yeah. understood that correctly. So how do you decide upon brand and uh, yeah, just share what you can about, you know, which brand becomes the, the the winning brand and how you take that to the new community? Yeah. So, okay. You know, remember, I, I kind of had my, I wore two different hats. So first of all, the United Valley Bank hat, um, and that's where we acquired most of the banks. You know, again, I'd, I'd walk you back and say the reason we acquired banks was to, you know, we were in communities that weren't growing. We had fixed costs going up. We needed to get bigger. And the only way that you were going to do it was you, you either had to grow um, internally or you needed to acquire. We acquired. That, that was the strategy at that, at that bank. And there, you know, we were always very sensitive because the brand of the local bank, you know, when we bought these banks, they were very good. They were really good. And so we were very sensitive to making sure that, that we enhanced the brand and did not, you know, did not get in the way. And so we typically did not merge the banks in right away. You know, they, even though we owned them, they ran with the same management group and, and let, you know, gave it some time to get the employees in so that they would carry the brand. And then, then when we merged them in, when we merged the bank in, um, from a marketing standpoint, we'd talk about all the pluses to do it. And there, there are a lot, you know, for the customers. And I, I think from an image standpoint, it seemed to go extremely well. Now, in the Twin Cities here in Minneapolis, Eagle Valley Bank had had some challenges during the recession. And when we bought First Street, we knew we needed a new look. We needed a new feel. We needed a new image. And we had some new leadership. And we had, it, the whole thing was just, had just a different dynamic. And when we bought first, we knew we needed to change the name. So when First Resource Bank came along, the question really was, do we change the name of everything, you know, or do we do we uh, take the name First Resource Bank? And we decided, you know, there was quite a bit of signage out there already. Their image was very good. Let's take their name. So was there ever a period during any of these where... You know, you would do, and I'll I'll use a couple examples here, right? But is there a period where it was Eagle Valley doing business as first resource or as a component of, or, you know, any signage that said, no, you know, no, there was a, a pre-merger? No. And, you know, and, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, they had to stand on their own until they merged. Okay. Yep. Okay. So we didn't take deposits, you know, from one institute, you know, for the other one. Yeah. So no, we did not, you know, um, we did not do advertising branding with both names on it. Uh, no, okay. we didn't. Uh, and, and none of the, none of the bank. Yeah. Cause I'll tell you, I, I ran across a bank in 
I'm not even going to tell you what state it's in because it's a, <laughs> we're, we're driving around and it's a, it's, it's a uh, definitely a rural community. The bank seemed to have both the bank names on it. Uh, there was, there was a, you know, we drove past three different branches of this bank. And at some point, one of them had, uh, you know, let's call it XYZ as a, let's see, how would they put it? It was XYZ as a uh, part of ABC Bank Corp, right? The next one had XYZ period. And they were all part of the same bank. Right. Yeah. And then the next, so, so it was a very confused, at least again, not knowing anything about this bank, I'm driving by these and they're all, they're all named slightly differently and they're all part of the same chain. And I was thinking, boy, what a strange way from a branding perspective to put that on your sign. And this was on the sign in the front of the bank. Cause I didn't know the bank at all. Right. So, you know, I, I guess the reason I was kind of pushing it down the branding path is, you know, I would think as, as an acquirer, Pretty early on, you have to decide sort of how that branding piece is going to work and and whether or not, you know, when the acquisition was going to occur, you know, when you call it a final, you know, when you call Eagle Valley as a, as a, as a first resource bank, right? Well, there are so many issues that go into merging after you acquire it, okay, of which branding is one of them. Like I said, the, what's the image of the bank? You know, the other huge piece of this is merging the core the computer systems together. Yes. Okay. And the core products. And it's extremely expensive, very expensive. And, you know, and something you've absolutely got to factor into the equation. So who's going to be, who survives? Okay. What is the computer system going to look like? Are you going to operate on theirs? Are they operating on yours? Are they, you know, you know, those are the types of things. What's the cost to do it? And, um, and like I said, the cost can be astronomical and you really need to have a handle on the cost before you acquire anything long-term knowing what is this going to cost you? Because what seems like it might be not a big deal could be a huge deal. And how do you get your head around to that either pre-acquisition or just as you're, as you're driving into the acquisition, are you digging down into those contracts? Uh, you know, cause again, that's yeah, a space. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah. That's yes. a space I come from, right? I, I yeah. You, I'll tell you what, those, co- those contracts, you know, <laughs> um, I will tell you they it, it's major dollars and, yeah. you know, and those contracts are critical and you need to, you absolutely need to know what's this going to work. You, you know, and I think it's not just this, the, you know, you think of the selling bank, that's got the contract, okay? Mm-hmm. And you think that's where the cost is going to be is, well, what's the penalty to get out of the contract? And it can be substantial. And when I say substantial, it depends on the size of the bank, the year of the contract, how much is left in the contract. But, you know, well, big six, it could be well into six figures. Sure. The, the other side of the coin is what's it cost to merge and, you know, and doing a conversion and converting one bank into the other system. And, and it, that can be another you know, well into six figures. Uh, and are you getting a quote for that ahead of time? I would think that at some point, uh, those are at a point where it might change the price you'd pay for the thing. Oh, for sure. And okay. you need to, you need to factor that into your bid because, okay. you know, if it's going to cost you half a million dollars to convert this thing into your system and you're going to know you're ultimately going to want to do it, you better know that, you know, that's the yeah, I would think it'd be that in real estate, right? Are the two things that that really you know had the ability to really affect you know? Are you leasing your buildings? Are you oh, do you own them? Are we keeping them? Yeah, you know, those seem to be like the biggest uh, landmines that somebody could overlook if they haven't you know just to you know, of- Well, actually, on the real estate side, interestingly enough, or it could be the other way around, where you know if you're buying the assets of the bank and they've had the bank building for many years, they depreciated the value down, and it made that building maybe worth substantially more than what they have it on the books at. Oh, I got so, you. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so so and I've seen I've seen the building actually handle it. 
separate in the deals. I've seen it in part of deals for that very reason, you know, is what is the real estate worth? And Okay, good. No, that's actually, a, yeah, it's a real interesting perspective is, you know, you definitely need your accountants and somebody who cares an awful lot about the money digging through this thing before and throughout, I would imagine. Yeah, Because right? I'm sure you're still getting surprises no matter which, how good you are at this. You do. Yeah. And, and I would, you're right on, I would, um, I'll tell you, I couldn't be more grateful to our accountants and, and attorneys. You need a good attorney. Um, I have seen deals blow up because attorneys did not click. And we had, oh, we had one deal where, <laughs> where our attorney and the attorney for the seller just flat out didn't like each other. And the president of the seller, I mean, we were an inch away from this thing all falling apart. I had to call the seller, you know, really go around the attorneys and hammer out the deal and then go back to our attorneys and say, this is how we're doing it. And let them tell us why we shouldn't do it that way and say, okay, that's fine, but we're doing it this way anyway. And Oh, uh, interesting. Wow. Um, yeah, so, so I'd say, but, but I will tell you, your attorney, your law firm, your accountants, you boy, I'll tell you what, they are critical players in this whole process. And there's a lot of ego and personality in that in, oh, in some of man. those folks as well, right? Too. <laughs> I mean, I've met more attorneys than I care to sometimes, but uh, yeah. in general, right? It, it uh, there you you definitely get some blustery. You know, you know. In, in fairness, you know, I know our attorneys were, were our attorney. You know, even the situation where where they weren't clicking, they're were watching out for our best interest. I mean, yes. they were. I get it. I mean, they, they were watching out. You know, what, what it really amounts to is what, you know, when you put together a purchase agreement, it takes a long time and, and it's like, okay, you can, you can bid on a bank, you agree on a price, but when you start hammering out that purchase agreement, man, I will tell you, there is decision upon decision upon decision that you're in negotiating over that, you know, beyond just the dollars. And I so an example, great. an example that might be like the building as an example, right? I mean, the, that the building, is, yeah, is that in or not? Be, yeah. Um, it could be indemnification issues. I mean, are there issues out there that, you know, it could be, um, there's just a, just a variety of things. You know, one of the, one of just a simple word in the, in the purchase agreement is that the seller likes to put in the words, you know, we're selling you the, the loan portfolio and to our knowledge, there's no title defects in any of loans. And as a buyer, you'd say, hey, I'm paying you millions. I don't want to know what's to your knowledge. I want to know what it is. And I want you to guarantee that this is what it is. And you just, that simple word, um, to our knowledge, can knock a deal off right there. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah, I guess the, and and the devil's in the details, isn't it? Yeah, devil's in the details. And, you know, these purchase agreements are thick. I mean, there's maybe... Uh, many, 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 many pages. And um, yeah, so, you, so you're you, best off to find a, find some, get some talent around you that has done a few of these before. So they know, the, they know where exactly some of the right. You know, and, and what I learned early on was there's things I really care about and there's things I really don't. And I'm not going to fight over things that I don't care about, you know, and I'm going to, and the things that I do care about, it is what it is. And if we don't have a deal, we'll move on. We're fine. Life is yeah. good, either, but we're not doing it that way. And, um, and you yeah, I that suppose that keeps right the, keeps the ulcers down and at the same time yeah, makes you feel pretty exactly. good. You know, there's no use in them wasting their time and us wasting our time. If it can't be done a certain way and we know we're not going to do it any differently than that, then this is what it is. Sure. Great. Well, good. Um, so Tim, I've got just one last question and uh, well, actually I guess there's two. So the first one relates to internal talent, right? I, I would imagine there's always this balancing act between we've got to get this thing more efficient which means, you know, operationally, there might be some people that have to go over time. And I think what you mentioned there was your, your preference was to retire them out or use natural, you know, natural attrition to get them out, 
right? But on the other side of the coin, you have this concept of there is some talent that if you lose them, you actually lose some of the value of the deal. And I'll use your commercial lenders or anybody who's got the, you know, their portfolios, et cetera. Right. Uh, yeah. Do you, you know, when you go into one of these, do you have to lock those, you know, some of the key folks down? You know, um, we have not. That might be more the, you know, although I will tell you, depending on where you're now in the state of North Dakota, North Dakota is a right to work state. Okay. And what a right to work state is, is that employment agreement, uh, non-compete agreements really carry no weight. Okay. You know, employment agreements that have certain stipulations in that require them to be here or, you know, they, again, they can't compete if they leave type thing. If the talent were to leave in North Dakota, that doesn't carry weight. In Minnesota, it does. Mm. We have not, in the Minnesota banks that we have acquired, we have not ever done that where we've tied them down. Okay. Um, Just figuring. But I will tell you that, yeah, you're, but I would say that might be more banks do than not. And I get it because the truth is you are buying the talent. You're, you're only as good as the employees that are working there. If it's a good bank and, you know, you've got good employees, you want them to stay and you're willing to pay a premium for those employees. This is the price you're willing to pay, but you got to make sure they stay. So I get it. I mean, um, and that is yeah. ideal. And I suppose the, uh, the flip side of that coin is if they're miserable and you're paying them to stay, they're still going to be miserable, right? I mean, yeah, and, you and don't so, want that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, you're not really picking up the value you thought you got if they didn't want, if they don't want to be there, they don't want to be there. So, you know, I've always felt the onus was on me to make sure that they were comfortable and appreciated and like where they were. And that was my job. And, and I, you know, and, and so I, I mean, so I think from a, yeah, do we run, run risk outside of that? That's, oh, absolutely you do. But I will tell you, I don't know that, um, that the acquisitions that we ever lost anybody, but again, I've always viewed my job as making sure that the culture was right, that the employees, somebody was listening to what the employees had to say and uh, we kept them swimming the same way. Good. Okay, good. Well, I, that's really all I had for this, this interview with the exception, maybe just one question. And that is, You've got some things that you've learned over your career in doing these, right? Is there anybody for, you know, if you think about a newbie, somebody who's, you know, running a small operation, thinking about merging with a, with somebody in the neighborhood, right? Is there any other, any other landmines, any other things we didn't cover, any other, you know, w- words of advice that you can you, provide? You, yeah, I mean, surround yourself with good people. I mean, meaning when I say good people, accountants, lawyers, because there's a lot of people that have done this before, okay? Because there are, you know, you open a door and there's another board door behind it and you just never know what it is. And every deal is unique. And they all have their certain employees, there's certain, uh, the seller's selling for a, a different reason. Every situation is unique and different. There is no cookie cutter type, this is an acquisition, this is how it looks. Every deal is unique. I would also say that don't sweat the small stuff and make sure you hold true to what the stuff that that you feel really matters. Okay, good. Yeah, that's, uh, like I said, it's important because yeah, I think you're balancing at that point probably between between an ulcer and whether you want to do this for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Somewhere in there, yeah. I would imagine. <laughs> so. You know, make sure your staff's on board. You might, as a CEO, you might want to do this, but it's a lot of work for your employees, a lot of work to merge them in. And you need to make sure that they understand that, know that. But also with that, because you're bigger, their their positions become more valuable, and um, and then they're rewarded for that. Right. You know, I have one. Uh, sorry, one more question. I wasn't thinking about it until we just uh, you just mentioned that. Prior to the merger, are you in there speaking with the employees, or do the employees of the other place not really always know? 
that this is coming. And and the reason I right the reason that's important is if you had the ability to go in and get the attitudes, you'd probably walk out with a better warm and fuzzy. You might pay more, right? But the opposite is also true, right? If you've got a bunch of people retiring, if there's some things you don't know about, uh, that might lead to what you'd consider a lower offering price. Right. You know, uh, what, what's that dynamic there? Is it? Yeah, that, that, is, a, that is a really, really, really good question. And so, how do you how do you approach the employees? How does it? You know, when we have every one of those that we have acquired. Now, this is not always the case. Okay, and every situation is different. But you know, first of all, confidentiality agreements are signed. Okay, okay. and um, that go both ways. Okay, and that we so we can't tell people on the street we're looking at them. We can't. But I will tell you. When you're in pulling loan files and you're 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 asking questions, people are going to want to. It's not real difficult to figure out why does this guy want to know this or this, or you know, inquiring these questions or questions on these credits or looking at these files. You know, so it's not that difficult to come to the conclusion that uh, I think the bank's being sold. Every one of the deals we've done, all of them, the seller told the employees that they were selling and that you know that that we were coming in as a possible acquirer of the bank to do due diligence. So when I would go in, when they knew I went in, when we'd come in, that we were coming, I sat down with every employee, every one of them. I mean, honestly, it would be, it could be a few days of just meetings with employees. And again, just to get the the lay of the land, you know, from my perspective, how it's going. I had other employees going through loan files at other employees, you know, meeting with people. I, my job was always the staff and culture. And um, oh, that's so, a great, that's a, yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. That, you know, first of all, that they, you had the ability to be let in the door before, because yeah. that is, that is really important to, you know, have a culture, you know, what you call it, a branding, a culture, uh, what, what have you, but one liaison, and if that's you as a CEO, to get out there and make sure you know what's behind the scenes that isn't showing up in the financials or isn't showing up in the, you know, in the, uh, you know, as, as I always used to say, it's always, you know, this wasn't in the brochure, right? <laughs> You go on yeah. vacation, something either goes really right or really wrong. Well, it's, you know, generally not in the brochure. So um, conceptually, it's kind of the same thing, I would think, is that you're, you know, you're getting in there and getting the opportunity yeah. to, to have real conversation. There's a lot of different ways to run a bank, and there's not necessarily a right or wrong way. Maybe, I suppose there is when it comes to regulators, but I mean, there's just different ways to get to the right way. There's a lot of ways to do it. And what maybe was the hot button for me might not be the odd button for you, like locking up talent, for example. Um, I know of one bank that was a very large acquisition um, that occurred in the Twin Cities, and um, the buyer required non-competes. I think it was, and I, I'm going to be wrong on these numbers, but they, there was nine employees that they viewed as the top, viewed as the top talent. Seven of the nine needed to sign non-competes, or there was no deal. So then they would need to net with those nine employees, and then um, they got the deal done. But because they felt that the value of the bank wasn't what the value was without the staff, and, and they're right. And oh, so well. again, there's a lot of ways to get there. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay, good. Um, anything else we missed? I'm good. Good. Well, I certainly appreciate the uh, the conversation. It's been eye opening. I mean, I think it's a it's a really good tutorial for folks that are in this industry that maybe want to do something in this area and really just haven't you know maybe working too hard at the day job or whatever. But but just you know haven't really had the knowledge on uh, things to look out for as they as they go about you know acquiring somebody or at least just even thinking through the process. All right. Well, thank you, Tim. I appreciate it, and uh, you have a good day. Th- thanks for joining us. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay. I would like to thank uh, Tim for participating and spending a few minutes with us. Hopefully you learned something about 
uh, things to think about as you're considering an acquisition of another financial institution. Uh, good material. So next up on Bank Talk, we have uh, Glenn Grossman from FICO. I'm sure a lot of you know FICO from, uh, you know, in their credit scoring world. But Glenn's spot in that group is talking about alternative programs that help drive financial results, specifically in deposit solutions. So what Glenn's going to talk to us about is he's got some ideas for just ways to take a your financial education programs and, you know, more or less saving for a rainy day and using that to improve your commercial relationships. So I just, I thought the tie-in was real interesting. That's why we're going to uh, have a few minutes of discussion with Glenn and see where that takes us. Okay, so thank you for joining us today. Uh, if you have any ideas on the upcoming episodes or episodes you might want to hear about, topics, uh, you want to be a thought leader on our program, and you've got some interesting ideas that you think bankers might be interested in, please visit us at uh, banktalkpodcast.com. There's a box there. You can leave some information. And, um, you know, if there's if there's other items out there that are interesting, you think it would be interesting topics for CEOs, we're always interested in, you know, the next four, five, six episodes. All right. Hope you can join us for the discussion with Glenn. Uh, thank you. Have a nice day and keep on learning.